is handing out a little bit of paper. Yeah, you probably some of you are sitting there going, homework? Ugh. You'll understand uh, what it is when I get to it, but I need you just to take one and uh, we can work through that. About three weeks ago, um, we were looking at uh, the characteristics of a person who is moving forward in Jesus. That's the theme of the year, forward in Jesus. And um, the first week, uh, the first one we, I, I presented to you was to move forward, we must have Jesus in front of us to follow. If we're going to move forward, we need Jesus to be the one that we're actually following. Okay, He can't be behind us. He's got to be in front of us. Um, in fact, uh, about 20 times in the, uh, the four Gospels, Jesus actually says, follow me. He pops it in over and over and over in his conversation with people. Follow me. So it's important that we actually have him at that place. It's the invitation, really, to allow him to lead us, to lead you, and to lead you into all that he's planned for you. We talk about freedom and purpose here. Well, I believe Jesus actually wants to lead you into that purpose. But he's got to be in front to do that so that you can step into it. He made you to live a life of hope, of freedom and purpose. And with him in front, we get to follow him into that because he's got that set up for you. The second week, we looked at living for Jesus. Living for Jesus. And this was all about being in relationship with him where Jesus invites us into a relationship to get to know him deeply. The word intimacy was used lots. Jesus wants us to have an intimate, personal, living relationship with him and his God. Um, I said in that uh, sermon that relationship is not spelt religion. And I mean that. Relationship is not spelt religion. It's not about doing things. Relationship is about being, not about doing. That comes out of it. But we must understand that we, who we are is we can be in this relationship. It's not about what we do to get that relationship. He's done it all. He's done it on the cross. And it's God who makes this relationship possible. And I spoke about this. He places the Holy Spirit in us, in every believer, that allows, the Holy Spirit allows us to know him intimately. In fact, the Holy Spirit, we're told, is the advantage. Jesus' words he used. The Holy Spirit is our advantage to know the Father intimately. And, it's also, and he is also, the Holy Spirit is also our advantage in fulfilling the abundant life that we're invited into. So you and I do not have the power to live the abundant life that God has for us. So God gives us the Spirit, and that's the advantage. He is the one that empowers us to live out all that he has for us in that freedom and that purpose that he has for us. Can we have some slides up there? And I'll show you something. Here we go to the next one. Here. This is what we're looking at this morning. We're going to look at imitating Jesus. Imitating Jesus. And this is where our Heavenly Father desires you to be reproduced into the image of His Son. He wants you 
to be reproduced into the image of his son. In fact, he wants you to take on the family likeness. Let's sit with you for a minute. Let those words go over in your mind. Our heavenly father wants you to take on the family likeness. It's a pretty heavy thing, isn't it? To take on the family likeness. Paul says it this way. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many believers. Jesus was the firstborn among many believers. But those he foreknew, he predestined, he set you up to be conformed to the image of his son. That's amazing. Have you ever been told that you are like your mother or like your father? Bella, have you ever been told you're like your mother? Because you're nothing like her. No. It's funny, we're getting on a plane somewhere. We're we're going somewhere and the hostess says, are you sisters? And I'm going, sisters, yeah. No, mother and daughter. It's good. It was a long while ago, but they do look the same. How does it feel when you're asked or when you're told that? Oh, you're just like your brother. You're just like your mother. Just like your... I'm nothing like my father, by the way, until you get to know my father. And, you know, there's some things that... Some people don't like the idea that you're like your parent. I know sometimes I will say things and I think, gee, I sound like my brother, Robert. What? That's, a, that's uncanny how I sound like him. Those you tend to live around, you tend to take on what they look like. And in fact, this was brought home to me so clearly last Father's Day. After our service here in the morning on Father's Day, I went over, Fiona and I, we went to my parents' place for afternoon tea with my dad. And um, we're sitting in the lounge room and Fiona says, hey, you've got to come into the kitchen and check this out. And uh, so I get up leave my parents in the... I walk into the kitchen, and there on the kitchen, my dad set up his dinner. You know, because when you're old, you had dinner early. So I'm told, that's what he tells me. And he had his bacon, he had his eggs, he cut up his mushrooms, he had his um, tomatoes, he had his toast ready to cook. This was for both mum and dad. All set out neatly. And I just looked at that and went, I do this. <laughs> and I walked back into the, in, into the uh, lounge room and I said, well, what's all the food in there? The bacon, eggs, mushroom? And mum goes, that's our Sunday evening dinner. Dad does it like this every Sunday. And I'm shaking. <laughs> because you see, that's my Friday morning dinner. Because Friday's my day off. And I have bacon and eggs on Friday morning. And I set it up exactly. Now, I'm kind of go, where did he learn that? He must have copied me. <laughs> anyway, if that wasn't enough, we, one of the gifts we gave him was a chocolate bar. Now, he doesn't let mum, my mum eat the chocolate. You reckon she's too big. But uh, he, he's going to share the chocolate with us. So he gets the <coughs> chocolate bar, he takes the outside wrapper off, and then the silver foil, he peels around the outside, down to the bottom, and then neatly opens it up. I do that. 
Now, it's my OCD. But my father does that, and I'm thinking, how did you learn that off me? That's uncanny that he would do that. Now, I can't remember my dad having bacon and eggs. I can't remember my dad having a chocolate when I was growing up. So I don't know why we do things the same. But at some point, I must have picked this up from being around him. I can't remember it, but I must have. But let me just say, the truth in what we're looking at this morning is this. God wants you to be in the image of his son. God wants you to be in the image of his son. And he is forming you. In fact, he is transforming you. He is transforming you to get there. That's the journey of life that we do this side of, the, of uh, heaven. Now, if we are to be like Jesus and imitate him, first let's describe what he looks like, okay? What are some of the characteristics of Jesus? Now, if you've got a pen, you need to get to the page where the numbers aren't, on the other side, where there's the two things, and you'll see. I just want you to quickly, if you've got a pen, write down some characteristics of Jesus. We're doing a bit of an audit here. If you haven't got a pen, it doesn't matter. Think about them in your mind. What are some of the things that characterise Jesus? Have a think about it. And I'm sure you've already got at least five in your head already. To save all the calling out, I'm going to help you. Here he is. Characteristics of Jesus. He's infinitely loving, isn't he? He's kind. He's compassionate. Just read the Gospels and you see this. He's forgiving. He's holy. He's the Son of God. He's a friend. He's righteous. He's peaceful. He's a healer. He's a provider. He's honest. He's a miracle worker. He's kind. He's self-controlled. He's truthful, etc., etc. And we could go on and on. You've probably already got another five, <laughs> 10, 20, I don't know. So if these are the words that describe Jesus, what words would describe you? What are you like? And here's another little section for you to write on. What am I like? What are some of the words that describe me? Now, this is the one I want you to call out on. No, we'll leave that. Here are some words that I thought of that might not explain me, but might be very close. I'm finitely human. Well, he's infinitely. I'm self-seeking. Or, yeah, I'm loving. I think Fee would say that. But I can be jealous. I can get angry. I can be nice. But I can be very changeable. I can be weary, lonely. I can be guarded, searching. I can wear masks. I can be kind. I know I can be inconsistent. Ask Bella that. <laughs> Impatient, caring, but I can lack self-control. I can be hedonistic. I can be giving. I can be tired, restless, hurt, controlling, etc. That list I could really fill out. And the reason I put these two together is because when you write them out, you'll notice there is a difference between the two. And it's the difference between the two that has to be addressed if we are going to imitate Jesus. That's why I've given you that bit of paper. To do an audit. Because it's the difference between the two when you look at the difference, you can see where God wants to work in you. 
you must be willing to lay down those things that are in opposition to who Jesus is if you are to imitate him. And that's why it's good to sit and to go, what am I like, what are you like, so that he can speak into those things. Not just the negative, the things that, you know, he can also speak into the positive and say, I want you to move in this area or move in this way. I want to show you some verses. Oh, it's a lot smaller on that one. Okay, here we go. Luke 14, 25 to 35. Now, great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I just want to stop there. Often when you read these verses, I know I did as a young Christian, you go, that's ridiculous. And you don't really read the rest of this chapter, these rest of these verses, because you're going, I've got to hate my mother and father? What is he talking about? Now, what's the fifth commandment? Honour your mother and father. Duh. So, God, have you got it wrong here? Huh? You know, how can you say in one place I've got to honour my mother and father and now you're saying I've got to hate my mother and father? Um, that doesn't make sense. What about, what does Paul say in Ephesians 5, 25 about the wife? You should lay down your life and love her like Christ loved the church, putting himself upon the cross. Hold on, if I'm to love her like Christ loved the church, how can I hate my wife? And In fact, let's just go... The big one there, and even my own life. I've got to hate my own life. Hold on, what's the first commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbour as you love yourself. Hold on, love yourself, hate myself. I just don't get it. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. Okay, let me... I'll give you a little, little, a little understanding when you're reading the Bible. This is something I've learned, Okay. When I'm reading the Bible and I get stuck at a verse like this, it's usually me that's got it wrong, not God. So when I read something like this and I go, that doesn't make sense, I have to go a lot deeper to understand what he's talking about because it's not God that's got it wrong here. I'm not understanding. And that is the best way to approach the Bible. There's more to it because if God is perfect, he hasn't got it wrong. Okay, now let's get back to it. Let's read the rest of it and I'll explain a little bit more to you. He says, if you don't hate this, these people, he says, you cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he is enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation, he's not able to finish. All those who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet who comes out with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and he asks for terms of peace. So therefore... Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You know, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how should its saltiness be restored? If it's of no use, uh, sorry, it is of no use either for the soil 
all the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, this is Jesus speaking. And I often get this understanding when he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's going, think about this. This is important. Jesus puts it in there as a disclaimer. You need to understand what I'm talking about here. You see, in verse 25, let me just go back for a minute. Have a look at that first verse. It's it's very much here reported to us that when Jesus left the Pharisee's house, great crowds followed him. But as the account unfolds for us, you quickly start to see that he's not impressed with their enthusiasm. He's not impressed with the crowds that are following him. He saw through their outward appearance and he went straight to the heart of their desire to follow him. And this sermon that Jesus preaches here deliberately thins out the ranks. Deliberately thins out the ranks. This is what he was trying to do here. And basically he's saying, I want quality, not quantity. I want quality, not quantity. You see, Jesus only wanted those who were willing to count the cost to be his followers. And it's those people he will call disciples. And he goes on to explain that to be a disciple of Jesus or a true follower of his, that's what we're talking about, isn't it? Moving forward, means paying a price. What did this consist of? What was this cost consisting of then? Well, it meant taking a good hard look at yourself. Taking a good hard look at yourself. It meant removing anything that holds you back or weighs you down. Anything that stops you from progressing forward and imitating him. That's the challenge he's putting to them. Anything that holds you back, impedes your movement forward, anything that weighs you down, anything that stops you progressing, he's saying, get rid of it. It's not worth it. I've got so much more. You see, counting the cost means taking an audit. Taking an audit. Now, when Flea and I first got married, I don't know, if again, it's my OCD, I said, we've got to have a budget. How many people in here have a budget? Okay, a few of you. You know, you've got... Oh, well done. Well, you've got this coming in. This is my sense. I've got this, this finance that's coming in and I've got expenses going out. Somehow I've got to balance the books so that we don't get out of control. And in fact, in all the marriage counselling I do, I offer this as part of the marriage counselling to the young couples that I marry. I say, hey, I've got a budget. I can give it to you. Whether you do or not, it's not the case. But I'm going to help you out here. Okay? And it's good because some people get a bit lost because they don't have it. The ironic thing is, Fee's um, finishing up in her job after 16 years at the end of this year. Oh, She turns around to me because we don't know what she's going to do next year. She's unemployed. She says to me, we need to do a budget. (laughs) Whoa. Did I hear you right? We need to do a budget. We still haven't done it. I'm going, I kind of go now, she's taking it up. I don't have to worry about it now. So that's cool. So we haven't done it. But we must do it before she finishes up because we're going to have to readjust what's coming in and what's going out. So she can retire, she says, yes. Um, Okay, so we're going to do a budget, okay? 
Look, all a budget is, is an assessment, isn't it? It's an examination. It's a check on where you're at so that you can produce the right outcome. <laughs> Hold on, afterwards. I'll talk to you after, Tony. Okay. And God is asking you to have a good, hard look at yourself. To get rid of anything that doesn't look like Jesus. That's what he's saying. He's saying review, review your life, your character, your attitude, your desires, your person, your actions. That's why I gave you that little piece of paper. It's your audit piece. Now, whether you use it or not, that's up to you and God. But I think it's good to sit down and say, God, what is it that you are like and what is it that I'm like and what do you want to work on? Okay? It's your audit. He's saying, eliminate anything that does not imitate Jesus and imitates the family likeness. You're now my son and daughter. Don't you want to look like your father, your heavenly father? He says, I'm doing everything. I've given you everything for that to be possible. Now, Jesus was very clear about this. He said you must love him supremely. That means even more than you love your own flesh and blood. Even more than you love your own flesh and blood. In fact, he uses that word hate. Hate. Now, it's a very strong word, and I think that's why in English we actually put it in here. There's many other words we could use, but this word hate actually does make us stop and go, hate? He wants us to hate our mother and father? That doesn't, doesn't make sense. And he's going, that's the very reason I'm doing this. Don't be mistaken. That does not mean he wants you to resent them or to loathe them, but rather, and here is a, the best way to, to explain this word in the Greek, it means to love less. To love less. So if you can see that up there, if anyone comes to me and does not love less, his own father and his own mother and his own brother and his own wife, to love less. But you see, it doesn't give the punch that the word hate does. You'd quickly read over love less, wouldn't you? You see the word hate and you go, hold on, that doesn't make sense. And he's going, that's what I want. I want to grab your attention. What does love less look like? How do we do that? Well, when you get to verse 33, you read this. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciples. Renounce. Now, the Greek word here means to bid farewell. To bid farewell, to say goodbye, to send it away, to bid adieu. Adios, nick off, <laughs> go away. That's what renounce means. Our love for Jesus must be so strong that all other love is like hatred in comparison. Does that make sense? Our love for Jesus must be so strong that all other love is like hatred in comparison to love less. And this is, I'm hoping you can sense the emphasis of his request here. Can you hear what he is asking from you? We must hate or love our own lives less 
and be willing to bear the cross after him. What does it mean to carry the cross? Well, it means, I believe, to be daily identifying with Jesus. In many areas, in his humiliation, in his suffering, in his surrender, in his love to those around him, for those who are lost, those who were hungry and, and, and needed healing. He wanted to do God's will. He said that many times. I do what my father has asked me, has told me, I should say. <laughs> that should be where we come from. That's carrying your cross. It means death to self, to bury our own plans and our own ambitions and a willingness to serve him as he directs. You see, a cross is something we willingly accept as part of God's will for our lives. I'm going to say that again because that's not easy to accept because we are of the flesh. Our humanity, our humanity goes, oh, that hurts because I thought I was in control. A cross is something we willingly accept as part of God's will for our lives. And do you know, do you know why he wants to do this? Look what it says here. Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If you want to find out what abundant life is, this is where it starts. Now, I'm guessing the majority of you are sitting here because you want to find life. And it's not about just getting up and doing, you know, a 40-hour week. That's not life. We know that. That's just part of being and part of the world. We have to go to work or whatever we do during the week, study, whatever. Jesus will help you find life. But it means laying down ourselves so that he can raise you up and create in you his image to do that. This is the answer to finding life. Lose it for him and you will find abundance. And to clarify what he means, Jesus gave us these three parables explaining why he makes such costly demands on his followers. And time doesn't let me go through all these, but the first one is all about um, the man building a tower. I don't know about you, but there's a, a street on my way uh, when I go to my parents' house. I don't even know the street, but there's this house. It's kind of half built, and it's been sitting there now for four years. And it's, a, it's one of those McMansions. It's huge. It's in the back of Blakehurst, and it's been sitting for four years. They got halfway, and that's it. And I kind of drive past that going, that's weird. And that's sad, because if they ever get to rebuild it, it's all rusted and everything anyway. So I don't know they have to knock it down before they start again. But see, this is what Jesus is saying. No one does that, do they? You, you, you look a bit silly anyway, apart from that. But no, you do the budget. <laughs> you work out whether you can finish it before you start it. And then he, the second illustration he uses is about a man going off the war, the king fighting a war. He says, oh, they've got 20,000, I've only got 10,000. Man, it's not hard to do that calculation. 
I can do the budget on that one. <laughs> I'm going to lose. I've got to go out and somehow make peace with this person. And he does. This is why Jesus uses these parables here. You see, in the first two, Jesus is saying we'd better count the cost of what it means to follow him before we start. Because there's a price that you will have to pay to be his disciple. There's a price you have to pay. He says, I'm hoping, I'm, I'm saying I'm hoping you've counted that cost. But Jesus is making it very clear what he needs to get done will not be achieved with half-hearted followers who will not sacrifice their life for him. That's the cross. This cannot be emphasised strong enough. And that's why I believe we've got to do an audit on our life. We've got to be continually checking on ourselves. Then he gives his third parable. And he compares his followers as being like salt. Salt was, uh, in its day, I've been doing a bit of reading, it's quite a valued item. In fact, it was part of the soldier's pay. That's how important it was. Salt was part of the soldier's pay. And I'm told... The words salt and salary are related. Salt and salary are related. And hence, we get that saying, he's not worth his salt. He's not worth his salt. Saying he's not worth his salary. <laughs> but it was such a, re a relationship. So you see, this is the concept that Jesus is speaking into when he uses this parable. I believe Jesus used it as an illustration of his followers because it's such an amazing mineral. It's used as a preservative, as an antiseptic, and it brings flavour. You see, as a preservative, he's saying his followers are helping block the growth of evil and the decay in the world. He's saying you need to be a preservative. And of course, as an antiseptic, an antiseptic makes things cleaner. But the thing about making it cleaner, I think, using salt is it probably hurts a lot before it gets to that cleanliness. Maybe that's what you have to be as an antiseptic. And flavour enhancing. Hopefully your presence enhances the flavour of the conversation or wherever you are uh, working or living, that you change the mood as it is. And I was thinking about this. The other thing about salt is it makes you very thirsty. And I think as Jesus' followers, we should make those who we come in contact with us thirsty for the things of God. And so we can be salty in that relationship as well. We can offer salvation to everyone. The thing about our modern day salt, the one you will have on your table at lunchtime, is that it's pure. We don't have the same salt as Jesus was talking about here. Our salt is pure and it doesn't lose its flavour. But salt in Jesus' day was impure and it could lose its flavour, especially if it came in contact with earth. So once the saltiness was gone, there was no way to restore it. The salt's thrown out onto the street and it's walked on. And that's why he uses this, because it's useless. This salt that has to offer so much potential becomes useless and it's thrown away. And he's saying, don't be like this. When a disciple of Jesus loses his image of Jesus, he is, just like verse 35 says, good for nothing. And he'll bring disgrace to Jesus. And that's why a follower of Jesus, I believe, must sit down and continually audit their life. I do it regularly. 
I must know what's getting in the way of my commitment of Jesus and what's holding me back from full devotion to him. And this leads me to my last point. You have to choose to follow him and imitate his ways. You know, there's only one way to being a committed imitator of Jesus, of Jesus' likeness. There's only one way. And that is by being devoted to Jesus. <laughs> you can't get in the back door. You've got to be devoted. Um, in other words, you've got a desire to be like him. You've got a desire to imitate him. Because imitating Jesus, I believe, is a serious business. He wants you to know exactly what you're getting yourself into. No illusions, no bargaining, no mistakes. He wants his followers to be the stones for his building, used in the first parable. He wants the soldiers to, of, his, of his war against the enemy. That's the second one. And he wants you to be salt for bettering his world. That was his third one. He's looking for quality. He wants to make you into the image of his son. And the great thing about it is we already have a leg up because it's Christ's righteousness that is placed on us when Christ died on the cross. I don't know if I've used this illustration, but it's like me taking off my self-righteousness, putting it upon Jesus who dies with my sin, but he takes off his righteousness and I put that on. So I stand here as one who is righteous in Christ. Paul talks about it all the way through Romans. That's why I have the potential to do the audit and actually fulfill it. Because of Christ's righteousness on me. He wants you to be in the image of his son and he's done everything possible for you to do that. And to be the son, the image of the son. Let's show you a few things. Colossians 3 verse 1, Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Seek the things that are above. That's why we do the audit. Here's another one. In Peter, Peter says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because he who suffered in his body is done with sin. And as a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. You see, we don't live our lives, the rest of our lives for evil human desires, but for the will of God. There's no doubt about it. Imitating Jesus is a costly and committed affair. I, have, you know, I don't want to disillusion you. It is hard. But finding real life is what you were made for. And what, good, and what God desires for you. So let me finish with this. And then last time, we read that Jesus says it's to our advantage that I go to the Father and the Holy Spirit comes to you. Jesus was saying, we're better off having the Holy Spirit within us than having his presence there right now. We're better off the Holy Spirit in us than him standing on the platform with me. That's the advantage we have. He's saying we are better off. The Holy Spirit will do these four things. And if you turn over your page, there are those four things. I'm not going to go through them. Time does not permit. But these are the four things that he's going to do. You need to go home and read these. Because this is how he's going to work in your life if you're willing. The Holy Spirit will, T 
teach you about the character of God. He will reveal to you an honest appraisal of who you are and how you live. He will show you where you're going wrong and what is out of step with your walk. And when you choose to imitate Jesus' ways, the Spirit will enable and empower you to do so. That's why I put those verses for you. You are not alone if you desire to truly be in the image of the Son. He's got it all there for us so that we can imitate him and find the life that he has for us. You need to read this. So let me close. Here's the real, the get real and the take action process that we talk about. Make time to go to God. You need to make time to go to God. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to take you through this order of your life so that you can be all that, you do, all that he desires you to be. Now, I think this will require a place where there's no distractions. And this is what I do. I find that quiet place where I cannot be distractions. And I mean a quiet place. And I mean a place where there's no technology. You can't have your phone dinging in the background. Find that place. Find a pen and a journal. Take it with you. Sit there and open your heart and listen to him. I do it often because God wants to speak to me. He wants me in the image of his son. He wants me to imitate him to the world. And this is the challenge all of us get if we put up our hand and say we want to follow him. So here's a summary verse. Paul says this, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body's dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. See, there's that righteousness that we get. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It was the spirit that got Jesus back up from the dead. The Holy Spirit raised Christ back to life. That same Holy Spirit dwells in you. And he will do the same. He can get you to rise up in areas you thought you were depleted in. You had no power over. He can do it. He got Christ up from the dead and he will do it in you because he wants you to be in the Son's image. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave up himself as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that we have this opportunity in the, the, the hectic pace of life to actually be in your image. What an amazing opportunity that you've asked us to step into, to display you to the world. But you don't just leave us there stuck, working as hard as we can, trying our hardest to get there. But you say, my spirit will be the power you need to get rid of that which holds us back and to press on to that which takes us forward. 
We thank you for the freedom that you offer us. We can break those chains and we can stand up and step into the purpose of what you have for us. We can actually move forward for you. We thank you for that. Can I just talk to those people who maybe not know Christ this morning? Because I would like to know, just if everyone could just close their eyes, if there's someone here and I've been, you know, I've been talking, but if God's been talking to you and you'd like to know more about this God that I'm talking about, this one that I talk about that died on a cross for you, that took away your sins and rose again so that you can live the abundant life. If there's anyone here, while you're, everyone's eyes are closed, if you'd just like to raise your hand, because I'd love to talk with you, I'd love to pray with you. And it's your opportunity to have him lead your life and lead you into the fullness of it. Father God, we thank you that all of us have this opportunity together. May we step out in you. May you speak to us when we ordered our life that we might be your people in your place under your guidance. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everyone.